Welcome to the What's Liking Podcast. It's your host, Larry Atencio. With me today is Gilbert King Elisa. Uh, how old are you and where are you from, Gilbert? Old enough to be your grandfather. I'm 44 years old, I believe. What's the other question you asked? Where are you from? I am from Washington Heights, New York City, North Manhattan, Uptown, not the Bronx, Uptown. Uptown, but not the Bronx. Say that again? Yeah, Fort George, overlooking the Hudson River and Fort Lee, New Jersey, on the other side of the George Washington Bridge. Okay. Um, What do you do for a living? For a living, I wear a few hats. My most prominent one is IT. My other hat is photography, and I also started doing YouTube and a few other things. Used to be a teacher too. Okay, I did. I didn't know about uh, the YouTube part. We work together, so I know you do uh, a tremendous job at at our school with with IT and and um, troubleshooting, etc. I know you also. A photographer. I've seen your work uh, outside of your your door. Um, amazing. I didn't know you had a YouTube channel. Uh, you want to plug that or sure. t- tell us a little uh, bit more about your channels and then the name and you know I'll include it on the show notes. Well, you could just look up my name, Gilbert King Elisa, but uh, the, the name, the full title of the show is Life Examined, and then followed by Gilbert King Elisa. Life Examined. About five years ago, I started a show on Facebook where I would speak every morning. It was a morning show, and I would speak for about 30, well, at most 30 minutes, at least 10 minutes, just to start off the day and to just talk about some life observations. And I would just keep it that. It was just with the people that I knew on Facebook. And then uh, just recently, I started doing a different format of it on uh, on YouTube. Is that uh, your, your YouTube channel's name? Is that a reference to... Uh, the philosophical statement by, I believe, Socrates that a life unexamined is a life not worth living? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yes. So you're... It's a reminder not to waste uh, time that you can be figuring things out and just thinking and instead of just accepting everything as it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, did, I didn't know that. And, and um, I love philosophy very much someone who's who's tried to live by that by by that uh motto and so it's 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 interesting to hear that that's something that you also celebrate and and try to live because i i think i'm 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 similar uh are you are you married no i've never been married i don't have children and (laughs) um that's how that's why it's so quiet in here That was my next question, but you're like, you know what? Let me just get that out of the uh, out of the way before you ask it, Larry. Uh, okay. I have been proposed to tw- twice in my life, and, and I just was not ready for it. Okay. And uh, one time, uh, a woman that I was visiting here from India, she actually brought me a wedding gown and uh, a whole bunch of other gifts. Uh, so I received a male version of a dowry, but uh, she was very what is this word? Cooperative, and in that. Uh, but it just didn't amount to much. We were just here for a short while, and it was too short of a time to get to know anyone. Okay, so proposed to twice, and you just never were ready, or you're just um, philosophically and in principle against the idea of marriage or and having children? No, not against any of those, Larry. Um, I, I just it just wasn't the time. Uh, you, and it, you know, when you think about having children, you also want to make sure that biggest decisions you can make is the mother you choose for those children and just as the most the most important decision she can make is choosing a father for those children and 
probably at times I wasn't the right person to take on the responsibility of fatherhood. And with a combination of finding somebody that can match up with what I was looking for. What was your relationship like with your parents growing up? Awful. I hate them both. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up with my father. I met my father a total of five times in my life. I don't hate him because I don't know him. But I empathize with him because he is a man that I met for the first time, I believe, when I was five. And since then, I met him five times. 2016 was the last time I heard from him over the phone. And he passed away a few months after that. Found out through the grapevine. And uh, as far as with my mother, I believe she was my hero growing up. Is the first, in a way, like in a lot of communities where the mother is at the center of everything. She grows up in a way being God figure. And you listen to what she says. I think she was very smart in the time when she was growing up. She grew up in Cuba, Havana, Cuba. And she came here when she was in her mid-20s. And shortly after, she had my brother and I. So she did a lot of things in a very short time, and she lived a lot of life. Uh, as far as our relationship, we grew up in a different time in the late 70s and 80s. I don't think there was much thought put on psychology or introspection or things like that. And there was a time where bullying wasn't a thing. It wasn't uh, something that we talked about every day or kind speak or political correctness. But I would say my memories of her was someone who was very different than everybody else in the family. But later on, when you read about things, oh, I wish I would have gotten that, or this was never the case. As a, as a child, that didn't, I got used to listening. That's when I became a good listener. I would listen to what everyone was saying, just like you do, always around people who were older than me. And in that, I learned a lot of expressions that <laughs> you don't use today in Spanish and in English, the good <laughs> words and the bad words, Larry. <laughs> But yeah, it, it, uh, as far as our relationship, overall average. It's gone up and down over for a lot of different things. I think every man, when he reaches around 35, he has a rebirth and everything that he's learned up to that point. He relearns. Uh, I don't think, ideally, mothers do a great job in raising men on their own. I'm not saying they didn't keep you safe. But raising men, I believe, is something that you do need to see that balance. And although I appreciate the way I was brought up, I realized that you need that to see that balance just so you can see how to observe it and, uh, you know, someone else and see how somebody worked with someone else. Being able to work with someone else is a talent that a lot of us, a lot of us uh, don't get to see or even speak about. So, yeah, that was the upbringing. It was a how. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. Left. Please. Um, in the in um in the house that we grew up in, there was about five people, and it was my mother, there was my grandmother, there was my grandfather, there was my brother, and there was me. So in the living room, there was a small cot where I would bring out from my grandmother's room. It was one bedroom apartment, and I would sleep on that cot. And my brother would sleep in the sofa over here. My mother would sleep in the sofa over there because the neighborhood in the 80s in Washington Heights was very rough. Drug uh, dealers everywhere. It was a very violent time. There's an article written. Uh, by a woman called, I believe, Diane, something about the cocaine wars in the area in Washington Heights. And I lived during that time. So the only time we would only be alone with my mother, my brother and I, would be when we, on the weekends, every other weekend, because she would work on a weekend. But on the weekend that we get to spend time with my mother, we would go to our house, which was about two blocks away from my grandmother's house. So it was always a full house. And that influence of grandma, grandpa, uh, dinner together, Praying together, kiss on the cheek, you know, Spanish-speaking households mm -hmm. with everybody. Even when you're leaving, you know, it's yeah, la cola yeah. de los besos, you know. 
that's disrespectful you, if you don't if you, if you don't give uh, 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 older people a, a kiss on the cheek to to say hello and to say goodbye. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, so, it was expected. Yeah. It was expected, you know, and that was it. Every other weekend at my mother's house, and then on Sunday night, come back to my grandmother's house. She would take us to school in the morning, bring us back, and uh, you learn a lot about family dynamics because you realize your mother was learning at the same time yeah. how to be a mother as we were trying to figure out how to be her sons. Mm-hmm. And sometimes parents are not matched up exactly with their children the way they need to be. We have different DNAs. As much as I might look like her, I look exactly like my mother, mm-hmm. except she doesn't have a beard. <laughs> but she, <laughs> maybe she shaves this. I, don't I know. mean, some, some, some women put <laughs> a little bit of facial hair as they get older. Yeah. <laughs> not completely out of this. The possibility. Yeah. But, you know, it's uh, we have different DNA. And as a kid, you just know how to be quiet. Going to a school where there was fights every day, my first day in school, I remember having fights with three guys. I remember getting in trouble for fighting those three guys, but I also remember going home and not telling everybody, anybody anything, and facing it until you win the fights, and then you no longer have to go through that. But during that time, it was fight every day. There was no principal's office. Talk with everybody about it. It was a so, different time. So you didn't grow up with your with your father, and, and, and you had mentioned that... Um, Although your mother did a great job and, and you appreciate uh, how she raised you, it seems to me that to you, looking back, there might have been a, a, a lack of masculine uh, um, energy or presence uh, in order to, you know, be the, the, the yang to, the, to, the, to, to your mother's ying. And a lot of the narrative around uh, that situation in, 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 in neighborhoods is that... Because of that uh, big lack of masculine energy or of a father figure, you know, ch- uh, boys gravitating towards older, younger men uh, who are in the streets, you know, doing, uh, you know, selling drugs and, 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 and just doing what young men tend to do, which is, you know, just just run amok, be violent, etc. So it seems to me that you never sort of went that route. What, what allowed you to... To, to not go that route or you just temperamentally just never even considered it or tell me more a little bit about how you navigated that that very liminal stage that men have between boyhood and manhood where we're trying to discover ourselves where we're trying to gain acceptance where we're trying to emulate uh the the the, the masculine ideals and models that we see I would look at my grandfather as the first role model for what a male is supposed to be, but I also know he was very docile. And uh, he never lived down the, I guess, the scarlet letter of, I guess, before we were born, he used to drink a lot. So I remember they always say, oh, he drinks a lot. Uh, he used to drink a lot. Era un borracho. Era. He never lived that down. And I don't, at the time, I remember, well, I never had that experience. All I know is this man, who, when you go to his room, he's listened to jazz music and had the Village People LP and all kinds of music, even though he didn't speak a word of English, but he could appreciate a side of life that perhaps the other people around him didn't. I also know that he was a great artist, and I had no idea that he could draw even when he was losing his vision. He could draw a portrait exactly how it was in the magazine. As far as, as how we were able to navigate from that, I mean, my grandfather didn't teach me how to fight, even though he said he used to box when he was young. <laughs> I know him from coming home, and he was there in La Butaca. He was just sitting there, uh, but he was at peace. Yeah. Now, the socialization that I would get at home would be pretty much, you know what, 
this is who he is. We're never going to f- let him live it down that he was a drunk, but he's still living here. It's almost like he gets they die twice. Brad gets to die because now you're looking at him this way. And then when he actually dies, I look at him as somebody who didn't mind holding your hand to walk you to school, even when you thought you were ready to grown and managed to be holding hands. I look at him as somebody who, when he kissed you, he grabbed your face and he was very sincere with it. Keep a kiss on the cheek, men and women. I'm talking about the little boys and the women, mm-hmm. all the kiss right on the cheek. As far as the, the thugs, a lot of them were criminals in the area. In Washington Heights, New York in the 80s and the early 90s, every weekend you see a mural of the latest drug dealer they killed going on the wall with flowers all over the place. Most of the classmates that I went to school with, I knew to be dead, be in the game, be in jail. By the time I got to high school, I had a classmate who was missing an eye. I had another classmate who hung himself at George Washington High School from the bell tower. And if you Google it now, there's no record of it. It's almost like that period when the Dominicans were first coming to Washington Heights. It just went, a wave of them just came and left. And it's almost like they just erased from time. What you see now is the remnants from the time where they were selling drugs and they had to they did a lot of things that were not legal to get ahead. And then they started getting taxi, uh, taxi places, taxi, yeah, yeah. livery, uh, livery cabs, cab, cab. yeah. Uh-huh. Then, the, then the barbershops and now where their younger generations don't have to do that. So a lot mm-hmm. of them died because of it. And uh, navigating your way to school was rough, but you knew that most of them just stayed in this corner. You, if you go this way, you weren't going to see any. If you go this way, you're not going to see any of them. But you also learn how to fight. You learn to confront things. Without, there's no, we're talking, there's no growth without resistance. And coming home, I didn't tell you anything to my mother. Those are experiences as a boy you grew up with and you keep inside, you internalize. And you think it's normal growing up in New York until you go to half an hour outside of New York and you realize that's not normal. Oh, you can leave your bike on the floor. I had my skates taken the first day they were bought. Just from leaving them outside. And, you know, if your mother doesn't have money, you're not going to get skates until maybe a few years later. Yeah. I had, I had my dino bike stolen. <laughs> you know. I hated that. You um, understand. And I, and I think you, you we, we could transition to the next question with, with, with this. Were you the type of, of boy who was already um, introspective and, and, and was trying to sort of look at life in, in a way that perhaps the majority of other boys in your neighborhood weren't, and that's the reason why perhaps you didn't gravitate towards that sort of lifestyle? Yeah, a very good question. I'm, I'm glad you asked it. This is a very smart. This is a very smart person right here. Uh, no, no. That, you're a very smart person. <laughs> right Please there. Continue. Funny. You, 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 I, I love the way that you were breaking down um, your childhood and, and, and just how you grew up with with your mom and your grandparents and and. It was a incredible way of transporting me to a very particular moment, era, and place. You know, I want to thank you for that. But but continue, yes. You know, I, I remember I used to get a lot from my aunt who passed away early. And my grandma, they always you always just say, Oh, he always asks a lot of big questions when I was maybe eight years old, seven, eight years old. And this is, you know, going out shopping, coming home from church. Uh, and they used to look at each other because, you know, in front of a child, they don't know whether they should answer that question or not. It could be just about their relationship. It can be about whatever. Because sometimes the person they wanted to talk about was right there in front of them mm-hmm. and they didn't. Uh, and, and my mother, I, I, I'll say this, I give her credit for this. When I turned 12, she knew that I had a bad temper. And that came probably from not being able to speak or holding a lot of stuff that happened in school and not particularly being good at school or being good at math or 
being uh, being able to share that and the teacher just hey, I'm going to choose on the student that knows everything so I can look good as a teacher and ignore <laughs> everybody else and yeah. be like, oh, I'm, I'm just dumb. <laughs> I'll come back tomorrow, but I'm still not getting it. And then being having to fight uh, people in, in school where I knew I can take them, but I knew that at the same time I didn't want to hurt them. And it's not because I couldn't fight. It's because I didn't want to fight. Mm-hmm. And my mother, when I was 12, she gave me this book by Wayne Dyer called The Erroneous Zones. And it's a bald a white man on the cover with a bald head and crooked teeth. And you can tell he drinks a lot of coffee or tea. I think he likes to have a lot of sex. He had about 10 kids. He had to keep writing books. <laughs> but the most important one, translated more than a million copies, was the erroneous zone. Not erogenous zones, erroneous zones, where it goes deep down into the psychology of people. And she would have me read a chapter a day. And I hated it. I remember it was summer when I was 12. She said, you can't go outside until you finish reading this book. Until I realized she gave me this book because I know this book spoke to her. And it talked about how to deal with anger. It talked about how to deal with, you know, this is before you go and get help in public or at least be able to afford it. He said, the erroneous zones was the book. And I remember reading another one of his books later on. But it helped in a lot in dealing with people and understanding what uh, you're being, I was being faith with, but wasn't coming outward and saying, you know, this is what I'm going through. This yeah. is what's happening in school. I spoke Spanish in school, but I didn't speak Spanish in school. My first experience in school, they put me in a class for Spanish speakers only because I was so quiet in school. They thought I didn't know how to speak English, but it was because I was surrounded by people that were a lot more dominant. Mm-hmm. I was surrounded by people that all knew each other because they had the same culture. Yeah. And it was wild. So the community was going through a transition. It was going from French, Jewish, Greek, and Irish. The flight yeah. <laughs> happened. They're moving across the bridge right, to Florida right, yeah. and the Dominicans. This is our home now. Yeah. And you are in the middle of it. And it just changed completely uh, yeah. o- overnight. So and then yeah, the, those books. Um, I, I know in, when I was coming up, I came here when I was seven. And, you know, I didn't know any English, obviously. But the model, and I'm not sure if it's still the same, was that, you know, they had majority Spanish classes so it wasn't even an immersion class. It was like you would uh, transition slowly from all Spanish classes. And as you, you know, gained more mastery and knowledge of English, then they would start moving you a little bit, little by little into just regular English classes. But New York City Public Schools, when I was growing up, if you wanted to just speak Spanish, that was that, that was an option for the kids. Yes. And, and so oh. I wonder if, 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 if it was the same for you in, in, in Washington Heights, which, you know, New York City, I'm sure that that was the case. Or, may, you know, maybe I, I, I recall incorrectly, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's how it worked. And, and now that's not the case. Um, excellent, again, excellent point. Some of those classes you could get away with just speaking Spanish. Being in that Spanish class, I wasn't anymore <laughs> willing to talk <laughs> because those classes were always wild. I'm talking about the first wave of Dominicans that came to New York. Think about it. A little bit after Trujillo, they came to New York because they didn't, what the things that they were doing, they wouldn't get away with in the Dominican Republic. So when they would come to New York City, oh my goodness, we get, we can do this here? It's an open market? Uh-huh. Open drug market? And we're getting free public school, and they're not going to... I'm talking about people taking knives to school. I'm talking about... Anyway, my mother stepped in. She said he needs to be back in that other class. <laughs> because the teacher... If, if we weren't gonna, getting a lesson in the regular class, we were getting even less of a lesson. Yeah, exactly. In the uh-huh. class. It was always sub subpar. So she's like, no. And I'm like, yes. Here we go. Here we go. Now, I'm still not going to talk more. But <laughs> yeah. I'm now with people who are speaking English and being socialized like that. 
They didn't remove me because of the fight that I had with the three kids the first day that were all in my class. They removed me because I didn't speak in school, which where now, you know, that would be like, oh, yeah, he's not speaking. <laughs> let's he's let's see what's, with his fist. Right, but let, let's let's see what's going on. Let's let's try to. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's funny how things change for the better, but then, you know, also how they change for uh and not for the better and 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 to put a bow on 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 this on, on this part of the conversation how would you just in general describe your um experience in 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 the educational uh world and educational system up until what grade just in general just in general yeah tell me tell me you know k through 12 tell me high school and then you know maybe even a, a little bit of college if if you care to um, in the educational world starting off, it was a bad start because I didn't go to kindergarten at all. So I just started in first grade. I was hoping to go to kindergarten, but, because, you know, sometimes they say because of your age or because of uh, your birthday falls on this day or they have no more spots, went straight to first grade. So I was taller, but I was still, you know, not ready to, for yeah. first grade yet. I didn't receive my first teacher that took an interest in my education up until I got to ninth grade. Now, I always got by in school because everybody else was misbehaving. I'd always get the behavior award. <laughs> that was hard. I mean, I didn't have to go to school for that. Yeah. I would always get the attendance award because I've never missed a day. But as far as academics, my first year that I started realizing that I can be good at this thing called school was when a teacher, Mr. Stuart Fontek, ninth grade, Norman Thomas High School, 33rd Street and Park Avenue, which closed down like a lot of New York City schools. He would have me come in early. He would have me leave late. Nice. And I would get home at seven sometimes. I would be at in his office, in his classroom at six. And he Gilbert, you, just, you have to do it. You have to do it. You're making me mad. I can't sleep if you, you know, do, go do the problem on the board. Look, I even, I'll give you a, a sneakers bar if you, you look like a typical 1950s nerd with glasses and a hair to the side with a pencil here and yeah. just love math. That's what I, first year I got 90s, 90s, hey, 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 hey. Real person. And the other one, junior high school, um, Mr. Ehrlich, he was very strict. He was the first person that I saw that kept people in line and they respected him because he ran the basketball program. I just found out he used to live in Long Island, so he drove more than an hour to get there. And he maintained a respect from everyone. Other teachers didn't like him because he maintained that respect and that order. And I remember he passed away during the pandemic. I looked him up. I remember... On joint choir, which helped me socialize a little better. He said, if you're going to perform, you have to come in early to take whatever test has to be taken and do this homework before, and then you can go on the trip. Or else we had that understanding. Fine. He expected things from us. Mm -hmm. He didn't set the bar low. So all the teachers that didn't set the bar low, I was willing to meet them where they were. At home, you know, you they, people don't have time to check your homework because a lot of homework they're giving you, your family doesn't know what you're doing. Later on, when I look at the work, I'm like, oh, now I get it. But my mind wasn't there yet. To... The, the the way my mom checked for my homework was, Larry, is it la tarea? Yes, mom. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's it. You could be lying. You could be telling the truth. You yeah. Be... Most of the time I was lying. Um, yeah. I mean, as I got older, but yeah, you know, younger, I, I did do it. But yeah, that's, that's how they check. They, you know, like, they can't yeah, they read know it. it, you know. They so. can't read it. Word problems are going to, yeah. It's English, you know, so, Yeah. But continue, my bad. No, no, fine. No, it's fine. We're sharing. Uh, I wanted to get to a high school where I didn't have the same environment that I had growing up because the neighborhood schools, elementary was bad. I would hope, uh, hope the people that I'm having problems with don't follow me to junior high school, but they do. 
And all the black kids who were in that school were all in special ed. It didn't bother anybody. They, were, they came in a little bus. They had a room in the back of the school where you would never know what's going on with them. Everyone else in the school was Dominican. He had a few Mexicans, maybe a small population. But by the time I got to high school, I said, I want a new experience. I went to, that's why I went to Norman Thomas High School, business school. I was accepted to three schools. I took the one that I thought looked coolest, not because they had the <laughs> best program. Norman Thomas had escalators. <laughs> so I said, I like this. That's that's the one with 10 floors, right? With 10 floors? You know it. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend who went there. I was like, what? Yo, right, what? yeah, right there. And my school was the small. The, the high school I went to was small. I said the high school I went to was small, but when he told mm -hmm. me it was like 10 floors, I was like, all right, this, that, that's big. Yeah, three trains to get there early every day. But that's about when I went to college, SUNY or Westbury. By the time I got there in Long Island, I just wanted to experience something different. I said, let me experience the suburbs for a while. I, I can't say that I necessarily enjoyed school. I transferred to the City College of New York after a semester and a half. My good friend in the school, Phil Lamute, he committed suicide when he was maybe, I'm going to say 20, 21, 22. So that kind of put a height to my college experience. If I could reach the crescendo and then I needed a break. He wasn't very good with women. Mm. And for a lot of young boys, if they're not good with women and or they, you want what you want, then you're not getting attention because you're not cool enough. He was loud. We knew him as loud as Phil. But... He liked Japanese women. Japanese women weren't looking at Phil. I remember sticking up for him, going to a dorm where I had to confront two guys who had taken money from him and they refused to give it back to him. And I just said, Phil, let's go back. And I mean, let's go, let's go back. You know, I got you. I got money. You get it other way. You know, but he was sometimes he was a little too nice for the people that he wanted to be cool with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the people he wanted to be cool with, they just wanted him because he grew up in Long Island. He had a little bit of money. Yeah. He had all the video game systems in the dorm. So they mm -hmm. would just go and borrow stuff, get his food, get it. When it came to hanging out, invited him to parties or anything like that? Nope. On your own. Yeah, we're just using and him. He tried to commit suicide freshman year when uh, he finally succeeded on um, fall break and after, you know, everybody had left campus. So that I needed a break. I took a few years off of school. I said, I just want to work. I just want to make money. I want to be away from school. I don't. When I came back, I said, well, as a part of my personality, I haven't scored yet. I signed up for the City College of New York. And of course, you leave school. Your parents are like, oh, but okay, well, I said, you're going to be poor. You're going to be, you know, you know, people, when they leave school, they never go back. I said, no, I just need a break. I've been fighting in school all my life. I just don't want to see any book. I don't want to, I want to study what I want to study instead of for the test. And, and that's what I did. And of course, you know, you get all the looks like, oh, you know, it's my you know, the neighbor's son has just finished school in four years. Yeah. My other person finished school. I took my time to finish school. I was doing what I wanted to do, but I was the happiest I ever was. The only pain I felt because I thought I was letting the family down and because of the guilt from not being in school in an institution. But when I was over it, I was ready to come back to the city college as a theater major. I explored one of the, I believe, one of the most introspective majors you can take because it takes... You can't judge another character when you're playing a character. I did over 45 in-school plays when I was in City College. And it opened me up to the world of just being yourself. Just, it's okay to be this and be that. Uh, the first time that I had a experience with homosexuals, because, you know, growing up in Washington Heights, homosexuals were whistled at and cursed. And, uh, oh, you don't want to be next to them. But I realized that, well, a lot of the people that make these great works, without even asking their persuasion, you could tell, yeah, they're probably... No, homosexuals, and not because they were homosexuals. <laughs> you know, they, they were great, but they were that and great at the same time. Yeah. But as a person who's studying this character, you can 
you can't judge that character. When you're writing a play, they say one of the, one of the best advice I got from a playwriting class was in the world of this character you created, there is no God. So your morality can't jump into this character because you want to know his background, how old is he, what motivates him. But when you look at someone, everyone has a motivation. That's what I learned from theater. And you just have to find out what it was, even if they don't make it clear or apparent. Political views, what are they? See, a lot of politics in a lot of places that they should not be in. And <laughs> that's my view. Yeah, yeah. That's what I see. And I, I think this is a, I mean, I, man, grew up in the 80s. There was no such thing as political correctness. You can make fun of blacks, gays, homosexuals, Chinese. They had this ad for his rice company and said, have you ever seen a fat Chinese? Buy our brand <laughs> or something like that. You couldn't go. Wait, actually, we shouldn't be laughing. We shouldn't be laughing. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, yeah. That, that was a joke. Continue. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so, uh, you know, I, I, I think if you can't talk about something in an honest way or you can't talk about the stereotype that you know it's already there, then you can't ever fight something that you may want to fight or you may not want to fight. I don't, in the 80s, everything wasn't an issue. And I don't say I want to go back. I think people are really doing their best to progress. But just because the wheel of my car is bad, I don't throw away the whole car. I think where we are now is, well, they have a wrong word in this book. Let's throw the whole book out. Oh, this math was bad. I'm going to throw this whole system out. You know, I always do the same thing with people, right? This person is not as cool as I thought, so I'm going to throw this whole person out. Oh, this woman has a bigger behind. Oh, let me throw the one I have out. So I, I think we sell each other short when we do that. And political correctness is something that is marketable. I, I don't expect it not to do what it's supposed to do. It makes money. So if you are in right now, um, as far as political views, if you talk about if you're a Republican, you have to love hunting. You have to be for closed borders and hate socialism. If you're a liberal, you have to accept every change that comes sexually in society. You have to stand for every causes and for countries and for money that's being raised for causes that you don't even know where it's going. So if you're smart, I believe, if you especially if you have a history of being a political, you stay independent and say, who is going to do the best for my interests, whatever your interests are? Whatever it is, because if someone knows they already have your vote, well, I'm just going to vote blue because, you know, whatever you do, vote blue. That's a slogan for the left or, you know, oh, just vote red. Then they already know you have your vote. They don't have to fight for you. It's like a woman. If she knows that you're always going to be there, she's going to have to try harder. And just like she knows you're always going to be there, she, you don't have to try any harder. See what the, they are going to do for you. How many times it's just rhetoric. But if you cancel somebody, you get you, you get the displeasure of never getting to hear them speak. So whether that's the most awful person in the history or the kindest person in history, because you're going to realize pretty much, in a way, they might be the same. And what you think is good might be something that this person thinks is bad, but I don't want to stop you from talking because you like something that I don't like. So with that comes fear. And if everybody is scared, we don't make good decisions. If I know that I'm up to my last paycheck and I'm being evicted, I'm just going to get a place that's might have roaches and rats and whatever because I'm not making my, you know, if I know my time for having babies is going to run out, I'm going to pick whatever guy, even if he's not the best for you, for me and have babies with him and he might not be ready to have a father. I'm being pressured. But anything I think you do because of obligation, whether it's a picket sign or a sticker or a bumper sticker, you're not going to make your best decision. You're going to ignore and you're going to miss out on a lot of great artists, a lot of great comedy, a lot of great works of literature, a lot of geniuses. A lot of podcasts like this one that you're on, that you that you created with your own sweat and tears and your your will on a Friday night, you could be in a bar drinking right now, right? Yeah, right I, I stopped I stopped drinking. 
when when you were talking about your grandfather uh never living down that you know he drank a lot is something that i think i i it's important in my life as well because i i was a heavy drinker and a sloppy drinker and uh i'm not ashamed of my past but it's something that i know now looking back that i had to gain control over and i like how you said that you know sometimes there's this sort of spiritual death that occurs when people don't allow you to grow and to move past the sort of narrative that they have created about who you are and who you were and so it 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 made me reflect upon this particular moment in my life where you know i've given up drinking and it's 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 not anything that i did super consciously because i i think i had some sort of massive problem with it but looking back it was definitely something that was detracting from my ability to discover uh my, my myself in 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 and 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 be the best possible version of myself definitely not trying to do the the drinking on a friday i said all that to say <laughs> that <laughs> do you miss it uh sometimes yeah Sometimes not as much as I as I did when I first stopped, and not as much as I I, I thought I would uh, when I was you know in 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 the midst of 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 my enjoyment of drinking and clubbing and 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 the music and not not the women I won't say the women but you know a little bit of that yeah so yeah I mean because it's 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 all a suite of things that come together it's not just you know the drinking it's the drinking and the music and the songs and uh, the sort of like l- social lubricant that allows you to become this person that perhaps uh, in your everyday life you aren't, but that comes out when you have these drinks in you and you like that person because that person gets called. That person gets told that they're so funny. That mm. person gets told that, oh, you, 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 you dance so well. You're so, you know, you just become a lot more charismatic and charming because you, you, you let your guard down. And it's just finding that balance between the euphoria at the beginning and then the sort of uh, depressing, depressing sort of um, after, after, right? Because it's always a, a, a peak and then you always come down a little bit lower. So I, I, I do miss it, but not enough to, to go back. And I'm also not in my 20s, right? So I don't even think I, I would have the capacity to. I mean, the fact that you were able to stop, I think it says a lot. You didn't have to stop. So there's something inside of you that said, all right, well, you know, give credit where credit is due. That is what I say. So, yeah, I, and, and, and I think I'm with you in terms of political independence and trying to be critical in a, in a, in a genuine, true manner, which is to say, looking for the truth beyond what is offered uh, in, 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 in our political tribes. Right. So there's this sort of like prescriptive element of for every issue having like you were saying uh labels and particular line of thinking and uh to answer those problems and issues and just remaining outside of those two sort of like prescribed and given narratives allows you to you know just think critically and independently about what actually uh is the solution and perhaps even think about uh, outside the box and things that maybe people haven't uh, brought up um, and even taking some of the best parts of the argument of all sides. You know, I, I, I think that most people are attracted to what's convenient and easy in terms of publicanism and, 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 and um, being a Democrat or liberal, just being something that is uh, that has V 
vast machines behind them and get pushed, obviously. But if you just step out of the, the beaten path and just try to read and, and discover, you know, different political ideals and different political thought, um, it, it makes you grow. It makes you uh, sort of uh, be a lot more attuned to the complexities and, and just the nuance necessary to understand how things work. And then just studying history as well. So, you know, yes. anarchism, libertarianism, um, you know, the sort of relationship between traditional thinking and, you know, European feudalism, the American Revolution and French Revolution and capitalism. and pro We have to do the hard work of trying to understand not just what's currently being debated, but having a sense of where all these debates and 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 how we got to where we are right now today, uh, from from a larger perspective than just who am I going to? Is, is it a good thing that society has gotten as political as it has? I think it's always been political, but maybe the the debates and the sort of tribalism has been amplified because of social media and the internet. But I, but I think if you look back, even in the eighties or the nineties. The, the culture wars going on either in the universities, um, you know, like in, in New York, you know, if you if you read the New York Times or Daily News, you were you like, oh, you know, they're more liberal. If you read the New York Post uh, Newsday, you were like, oh, yeah, they were, you know, more right wing. Um, right. And so there, there's always ways in which people sort of agglomerate and move towards being into tribes. So I think that we're not necessarily more political, but we tend to have less time to, like you were saying in the beginning, just separate and tune out. It's like now it's impossible to not sort of politicize or have an opinion or make a comment about every little single thing that occurs. Whereas before, maybe it wouldn't necessarily uh, happen as much as it does now. But it was definitely something that, you know, I think people had opinions and ideas and were just as tribal before. Uh, but before, too, in, in the 80s, you know, you knew you were going to get your news at 6 and then at 11 at night. Now it's a 24-hour news cycle. Do you yeah. think that's by design or do you think that's just because people just want news that bad? I think it's it has to do with the growth of particular markets and the growth of certain industries. So, you know, media companies need content in order to sell ads and in order to uh, continue growing and expanding. So it was only a matter of time before CBS. I mean, like when when chant like when the three major channels started, they will go off air. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, I remember that. Then it was like, okay, we have the yeah. Now we have the three channels. Now it's signing still, off. Right now it's twenty four seven. And so I think it's just a matter of 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 the expansion of 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 our capacities uh, to to sell things and 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 you know just sort of like the the logic of capitalism to for markets and industries to expand. So I do think it's by design, but I don't necessarily think that it's. Uh, there, there's an interplay between uh, conscious design, but also the like the the structural logic of the profit motive, and you know knowing that base things and and controversy is going to sell and it's going to get eyeballs. I, I know this. I, I think it focusing too much or debating people on it just all the time. I, I do think it subtracts you from your life because people. I see them online. They're just having arguments back and forth. Or, you know, over oh, this, and then the meme, and then this, and I gotta respond. I got to I'm like, what the? Are you getting paid for this? 
I mean, are, are you are, yeah. are you gonna solve what? For you're never gonna solve anything with a meme, or even I mean, people are already gonna keep the idea that they think unless they show something different. Sometimes, yeah. And, and even and then, it's like in oh. our in our right. attention spans. I, I I believe keep on getting shorter and shorter, and that's just like a, a a historical trend as well. So more and more of our lives are colonized by outside media forces, and you know we have to be uh, protective of our minds, our time, our relationships, and not allow you know because that that's what media means, right? Like in between, we we can't let. Uh, the outside world and technology and uh, things that are designed to to sell us stuff to mediate between how we see others and how we see ourselves and how we think. Um, obviously, you're going to have to choose how you're going to filter uh, the raw, uncut reality of existence. And that is going to be, by necessity, things that have been created by other humans that are cultural creations. But learning to choose the best of the possible and the best of the best in terms of cultural, political thought is where we need to sort of emphasize and put our energy into, right? So like, how, what do I choose to consume that's going to allow me to become a better person? What, what am I going to consume that is going to edify and help me uh, become the best version of myself? And I know that uh, Instagram, TikTok, uh, CNN, Fox News, they're not going to do that for me. It's literally not going to happen. And I think the the best way to approach life is to pick up books, find those authors, find those people who are so obsessive and curious about particular ideas and about the truth that uh, you could imbibe and, 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 and consume from them that same passion and obsession because it's pure. It's not trying to sell you anything. It's not trying to... Uh, if they're good, it's not trying to enlist you or convince you of a particular way of thinking. What they're literally trying to do is find a particular truth about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, about society, about how we interact, about our psychological makeup and, you know, et cetera. So find those people who are, you know, with their whole being looking for the truth. And then I think you could trust them. And then knowing that they're not going to have the full, complete answer, but that's just a piece of the puzzle. And um, incorporating that, I think, would, would, would make you a lot better and navigate life and, and, and people and et cetera. Yeah. And, with the, and going back to books, what's the first thing they, that I removed from a lot of places? Books. When I took some time off, I said, I only want to take classes that interest me. I took a media class. And one thing that they said was that about the 24-hour news cycle, how it was coming and it would just begin to start off that I was late 90s and how before you know oh, when GBS started the radio and all that yeah there was a definite time cut off time and look at the way how we interact right now it's very brief so okay or when people talk to you many times they look like they're reading a headline but not the full article oh did you hear that there's a headline okay what did it what did they say it's the facts so I don't know I don't know I just read that they said that you know the earth was gonna blow up tomorrow <laughs> And yeah. that's as far as we, we get into a surface. Like, we, it's, you, it's, you con it's convenient and easy for us to follow and do what we're told 
because then we don't have to take responsibility for our own selves and our own thoughts and our own vocabulary and and ourselves because taking responsibility of all those things is exhausting mm-hmm. it takes a lot of energy it takes a lot of uh strength that a lot of us don't have and 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 to be honest sometimes we we can't have it because of all of the strictures and demands of post industrial late capitalist society, you know, like we work a lot, we are exhausted, there's, you know, constant, a constant barrage of, you know, the 24-hour news cycle, or texting, or emails, scheduling, and getting gas, and then I have to go to the supermarket, and I can't forget to, you know, make the, 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 pay the bills, and I have to make sure that I, we are bombarded with, from many, many different places, with just, sensory and energetic overload and it's hard to handle and unless you want to do the hard work of 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 trying to strengthen yourself internally to be able to withstand that and you're Mm -hmm. just going to look for the shortcut but starting in the 80s right that was the first generation i think they were stuck to the television and you grew up on television because the parents weren't home they had to work your salary no longer was able to cover the cost of a lot of things for a lot of families so it's funny because uh, my friends a lot of times say how do you remember all that up from TV from way back in the day that you know, either commercial jingles or Sears song that can make you nostalgic or the toy that this Christmas that you wanted and got. But a lot of times you, you look at it and like, all right, wow, there another word that came out during the media class was programming. Mm-hmm. So this program has been made with whatever, but you realize the main word is they're trying to, whoever they are, Right, because we never get to see the person behind yeah. Wizard of Oz. Uh, you're programming you, programming you to do what? Because could you imagine growing up as a girl in this society right now, and you have to compete with beauty standards that you're looking at on your phone? Every girl wants a big behind right now. They want makeup. I haven't seen pores since 1985 because everything's contoured. Yeah. And if you're a guy, you know what? Uh, you're going to be valued for a lot of times because of the. Shoes, money that you have, watch, your shoes. The car. Back then it was a chain, now it's a cars, and uh, mm-hmm. so they're programming us to do what? I'm talking about the media with the people who are paying for advertisement, right? They to consume. Be no, like you said, there was no media without, unless people, 30 second spot for the Super Bowl, you're going to pay how many millions of dollars? Because people are watching because it works. They said McDonald's spent something like $3 million on advertising a day. If it doesn't work, why do it? They know it works. Now, how do you deprogram? We live in a capitalist society, right? I love it. You make money. Everybody makes money. But what mm-hmm. are you never taught? The rules of capitalism, right? There's, they have actual rules to this where it doesn't revolve around morality. I don't care if this person can't afford it. I don't care if this and this and this and this. The rules of morality, sometimes they're bringing up in movies. I'm a big film watcher because I think sometimes they'll give you some lessons that you're supposed to hear, but they can't tell you clearly. Yeah. Or else they'll probably get canceled. But notice, the best movies, they usually have a scene where they tell you, uh, you know what's the difference between the hand, fingers, and a thumb? The thumb is not a finger. It's a digit. And the reason that this hand, when it goes like this, keeps everything together. But until you put that ineffective, you can't use it. That's what makes them different as mammals kind of thing. Opposable so thumb. Like, hidden in plain sight. But are we going to look for it? Some of us will. Some of us won't. Are we too deep into it? What do you think, Larry? I, I feel like you're interviewing me now. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is all about I mean, you. No, I don't mind talking. I don't mind talking. No, no, no. But it, no, I can it, go on talking. You asked me if I 
we, we, about myself. You know, we always I, have the, these deep conversations, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I want to go back to what you said, which is separating the public aspect of life, the social aspect of life, and how we in those in that arena debate, uh, converse, negotiate, compromise. You know, like the the the, the marketplace of ideas, but also. Uh, the market of of things exchange, knowing that that realm is necessary for you know uh, 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 a fulfilled progressive life, but then also knowing that the private realm is sacred and precious, and and having that 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 yin and that yang, and having that sort of contrast between the profane everyday material existence of the marketplace of uh, public political arena, and then the private spiritual family realm that is sacred and, and and that we shouldn't tarnish with all the 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 things of 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 the public realm and so trying to maintain separate those two things i think goes a long way in 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 in, in keeping keeping one sanity and and being able to to navigate the sort of craziness that um started in 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 in, in the industrial revolution up until now right so because now everything is 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 all melded into one big machine of just attention. Look at me. I'm gonna put my whole life on the internet. I'm gonna entertain. We're looking at ourselves as like creators whose life is for the acceptance and for the consumption of others, as opposed to like my private world, my private life, my life with uh, Paula, my daughter, my life with you as a friend. It's completely different than what I have to, you know, talk about at work or talk about in terms of politics and voting and, and how to organize uh, society, et cetera. So I think for me, that's that's where I've, I've, I've gotten a, a lot of peace, where I know that my time in the house, my time with Paula, my daughter, my time with my friends is going to be my time with them only. And I'm going to try to, you know, reach and delve deeply into who they are, their their desires, their ambitions, their longings, which isn't going to be mediated by like, hey, did you see the new commercial, Dunkin' Donuts? Wow, Ben Affleck, Ice Spice, or you know, superficial, silly stuff. I want to I want to get deep into who you are, why you are, the meaning of your life. Let's talk about that all the time when we are together. Let's get deep. And if if that's annoying or you don't want to do that, then we don't you know we don't have to interact. And I don't have social Wait, media. I don't have. Wait, hold on. I gotta check my Instagram. <laughs> just, just one second. What? Yeah. Oh, what'd you say? Oh, wait, wait. What'd you and, say? And and you know, like the 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 one thing that it is popular that I do consume is YouTube. But I use YouTube not as a as as a channel or as a television. I use it as a library. I use it as a place for me to um, learn more about my interests and. I go only when I have something in mind that I want to research, right? So I'm not looking at the YouTube shorts. I'm not looking at, you know, like silly videos, funny, vid look, stupid shit. Like I, I wanted to learn how to cut my hair. I'm going to cut my hair. I want to learn how to like change the oil in my car. I'm going to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to, you know, uh, change the battery in my watch or whatever. It's a library that you could use as, you know, as a tool to better yourself. If you're smart and don't get caught up in all the other things uh, where they're trying to just, you know, colonize your attention so that they could just sell you stuff. Right. But if you're just very uh, intentional with how you use it, it could be great. Same thing with books, you know, like 
books are just the concentration of decades of obsession and thinking and thinking through of ideas given to us. I mean, think of just the, the beauty of that and, and, and the power of that. Someone decided, the good books, right? Someone decided that there was a particular element of truth that they wanted to pursue, and they spent five, ten years trying to tell you in the best possible manner what that is. And I think that's beautiful. I think we need to pursue that. We need books. We need the things that take a lot of labor of love, that take a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to create, and that will make us better. I'll say this. I think if your mind wasn't as powerful as it was, there wouldn't be such a concentrated effort in, in distracting. Everywhere you look, stimulation, 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 mm -hmm. stimulation. Turn on Instagram, big behind, big chest, fake this, fake that. And they know these basic things yeah. can easily take your attention away. But you look at books, whether it's great works, great sculptures from way back in the day, you look at it and you say, wow, this can only be made in a time of no distraction, of peace. I, I like to every Saturday morning just... If I don't go to eat by myself, just take time to recenter, recharge. And even people are like, oh, you know, let me do this. Let's go here. Let's go here. It's like, no, I have to. Mm -hmm. I have to because, like you said, you go to work, you go to these places, you respect it a lot, a lot of different things. If you don't do it, you need, especially as creatives, as yourself, there has to be a space where you can go create. But to do that, you need a space where you can recharge. And usually out of nature, usually away from a lot of the modernity that many times you, if, if you're going to socialize right now, right? And anti-social media forums, right? They call it social media, but I call it anti-social media yeah. because you get off on likes. Uh -huh. right? So if someone doesn't like you, then I had a woman that I used to know. She used to always worry about how many likes she got on her posts. And in her own life, no friends. She got on TikTok. Oh, my God, just for being silly, I get 6,000 likes and shares. So if that's what you need, I haven't been... You know, for what I do in photography, it requires constant posting on social media sites, but I realize I need to take a break from time. And since I've done it, I've heard a lot from people who would never have contacted me if I was still posting all the time, but they, you know, people who look but never reach out mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And you could create whatever world you want online. Even if online, in person, you're cowardly. Online, you're brave, you're strong, you're rich. But what you don't see in this person, being vulnerable. This person has an argument with their parent, where the parent looks at them and the people next to them saying, you ain't good enough. You can't, I don't think you can make it. You, I, I don't want you to uh, go further than where I put you. Or, and your friends might not want you to go further. And you're constantly competing with someone else because they think you have the light. You realize just by the celebrities who've, I can't say, I don't want to ruin your cast, who've taken, who've deleted themselves. No, nah, you could say the that, word. I don't, I don't want your channel to get a strike, trust me. Yeah, okay. They don't play. Even if you mention that country with the word R, you won't get any views. If you say, all right, well, I want their life. Well, you see, you have Whitney Houston, right? You had DMX, ODB, Michael Jackson. The one industry they don't talk about. Right? You can self-medicate or you can realize, you know what? I have money, but I don't still don't find my place here. Mm -hmm. And we don't usually talk about this because the only emotion that a lot of us are willing to deal with is happiness. And if we don't have happy, we don't talk about anything that's in between. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, think about it. The people who are around you most of the time that only can deal with the happy emotion, when you're going through something, they can't talk to you. They can't help. They'll say, oh, well, well, I guess call me back when you feel better. That's what I'm saying. For that person, I'm, I'm sure if you, a lot of those guys were in jail or if you speak to them or the people who have snapped and deleted a loved one, they say, all right, you know, why, why have you... You know, if you had to do it again, why would you? They don't know. But if you go back to them, a lot of it comes back from childhood. And a lot of it comes back with the way they were brought up. Okay, how come this 
woman who is so beautiful, she can't go out unless she takes five hours because she has to put on extensions and fake eyelashes. And maybe why didn't she see that before? Oh, because you thought she felt this way because you saw her beautiful, but she doesn't feel this way about herself. And that's where we are. I, and, and it's messed up that we can only address happy things or things that are polished because mm -hmm. most of life is not. And you, you know it yourself. You know, you live in a few places and you realize I have to make my way in these places. And I have to probably... And this, by this time, uh, many of us feel like you lived a few lifetimes already, a few stages. And mm -hmm. then you get here, I'm like, well, how did I get here? I know luck had a lot to do with it, but a lot of it is something internal. It's looking out for you or puts you where you need to be. Someone can look at this podcast in a week or two and decide, you know, I don't like what those guys said. You know, let's remove them. That's not, uh, that's, they shouldn't have the right to work. And imagine that. Mm -hmm. They first doesn't have a right to make money because of a disagreement. That's where we are. The question that, like a lot of the books that you mentioned, a lot of the classics, they never thought their books were going to be canceled because they didn't write it for that reason. They did it to move society forward. So, but when everything becomes politicized, then that's when you have to worry the most because now you say you're worried about racism, but you don't. You're worried about the business of racism. Say you're worried about anti-Semitism. No, you're worried about the business of anti-Semitism. There's money in all of it. You say, oh, they, we, we don't care about uh, fat shaming or bullying because, no, you want to be able to sell those orange stickers. You want to be able to sell these programs to stop it. But in, real, in reality, you just realize after the Industrial Revolution and after modernity, we never sat and realized that when things get easier, we don't need that many people. What are we going to do with all these people that need to eat and they keep being born? We need to find a place to put them. And so we got to create jobs that a lot of times are not jobs. The business of race, I don't know what that is. Okay, we're going to work on equity. Okay, I'm going to force someone to feel a certain way that maybe they weren't even thinking about. When I met you, I didn't see, well, that's Black Larry right there. <laughs> <laughs> we must be friends. I said, no. Oh, he speaks about you. You know, this is a man. We met each other. We met each other with respect. And we began talking. The rest is history. But they want people to break down in groups. Okay, let's go over here. Let's go over there. Oh, he said this. Oh, I can't talk to him anymore. Book about reading books. Well, I only like looking at movies. Well, he has a family. Okay, I don't. Right, let me just stay separate. What happens when we talk? We find out information.